First of all, Biden is now president, y'all. <laughs> uh, good day. It's a good day. Um, little housekeeping. Um, I will be speaking on February 4th at an event with Talk Tools Training called Turning Up the Volume on Mental Health. Um, you'll hear personal stories from a, a number of speakers, including the Red Blacks, Ottawa Red Blacks football team, um, their quarterback, Dick Arbuckle. And there will also be some great breakout sessions um, where we can learn how to not only take care of ourselves during this difficult time and with any mental illness and mental health issue, uh, but also others and how we can best support them. So um, if you like tickets, it's going to be a great day, February 4th from 9 to 4. Um, you can go to Talk Tools Training. Dot com, and you can also find it uh, in my link tree, uh, link in all my bios as well um, to get tickets for that. So it's going to be a great day. Now, this episode, when you really think about how ingrained alcohol is in our culture from the moment we you know, become teenagers to when we're 18, 19, 21 in America, to university, to as an adult, all the memes, all the jokes about wine and, and mommy juice, you know, we don't often think about how that affects people um, with alcoholism. It, it is completely ingrained in our culture. And don't get me wrong, I love a good drink. Um, absolutely. But this conversation was quite eye-opening. Um, my guest, she has a podcast. It's called The Unashamed Alcoholic. And she speaks very openly and candidly about her being an alcoholic. And I, I learned a ton from this conversation and from following her on social and it was uh, it was a really kind of one of those conversations where you're like, ah, oh, yeah, okay, that that makes a lot of sense because it's just something again we don't think about. So I hope you enjoy this episode. Go follow her, listen to her podcast. Uh, she has some tremendous guests. Please give it up for Becca. You take the red pill. You stay in Wonderland. And I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. From the realms of Twitter, it's so cool with social media. That, like I can meet, like connect with someone on Twitter, and now I meet them like sort of in real life. So Becca, thank you, and it's so nice to finally meet you. You too. After months of talking about gingerness and, and redheadedness, <laughs> ginger power. Um, first off, I just want to congratulate you on the success of your podcast. Um, when we look, especially new podcasters at analytics, you know, it takes a while to kind of get going. Um, but your podcast, like it seemed to really reson resonate with people very quickly. So first off, like, congratulations on that. How did it's like, is that, is that surreal to you? Yes. I, I feel like I've been in a dream, you know, the last three months. So it's, it's, it's crazy. What's what I've accomplished in the last three months, just, just getting a podcast going is tough. It's, there's a lot of, you know, learning behind that, but you know, who I've spoken with, like, it just feels completely surreal. Yeah. And like one of the, like, you've gone for like big names too, like kind of remind me of like the interview dudes were like, they're not really scared to go after like those big, like Aaron Davis, like, you know, I yeah. work in radio and like, she is a, Canadian radio legend, yeah. Uh, you know Mary Walsh. Uh, you know, uh, like it's cool. Like me, I'm always like, uh, they don't, they wouldn't want to talk to me. Like <laughs> the worst some, like, they can do is on. say no. The worst yeah. they can do is say no. No um, shame. <laughs> so, I mean, we'll get into the podcast a little bit and kind of the things you learn. But obviously, big thing with my podcast is I, I want to hear the story 
that led into it and, and behind it. So, you know, I'll, I'll let you kind of tell, but let's kind of start at the beginning of your story where you, you know, your relationship with alcohol and, you know, how that affected your life into where you recognized it was a problem. Oh, yeah, there's a, I mean, there's so many facets to that because there is like a period where I was drinking, you know, as a teenager. And then there's like the twenties where, you know, it, be, it I could I definitely identify that it got um, different than other people. Um, I had to go out uh, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, like it wasn't a successful weekend if I wasn't belligerently drunk, you know, and then as you're sort of become more independent and out of university, uh, well, <laughs> I can drink all the time. Like this is, this is great. No one's watching or monitoring. Like I can drink all the time. So I was, um, I wasn't a drink in the morning person ever, even up until the end. Um, I never had a DUI. There's all these things where it's just like, I don't have a problem because none of these things have happened. But as my drinking progressed, Um, I realized, you know, looking back on it now, I never really had a relationship, like a substantial good relationship with a, with a a man because I was always drunk. And like, so you don't really get relationships born out of, you know, a one date uh, where you're both drunk, you know, downtown Ottawa, like that doesn't tend to happen. So I, I did find someone, we got married, my drinking, you know, we both kind of had similar drinking habits. Um, but it wasn't becoming a problem until after I had kids. Then when the responsibility sort of was there, this new, it's not all about me. Um, I think that's where I really started to identify, like, I'm thinking about this all the time. Um, and I've got these other humans who are relying on me to want to, or to be able to drive them around at night to do something or go somewhere or, you know, not be, uh, uh, incapacitated if they need me in the middle of the night. Um, you know, there is the, it sort of just became more of like a little nagging voice that like you're, you're drinking too much. And, you know, I, I always had to drink to go out somewhere. Like if it was a wedding or, or dinner with someone like, well, I'm, you know, everybody has a few drinks before that. Right. But as you get into your thirties, it was like, do they like, is, is this, you know, am I, am I following still the pattern of what normal, normal drinkers do? And I knew that I, I wasn't when I was just thinking about drinking all the time. It was, um, you know, what am I going to drink tonight? How much wine is left in the fridge? Will my husband notice if I go back and get a third glass on a Wednesday night? Um, you know, just this nonstop little chirping going on. And I just, something kind of clicked and I was just so sick of thinking about it. And I woke up uh, for after my grandmother's funeral in 2017. And I was so unbelievably hungover that I, I, I said to God, I can't do this anymore. Take this away from me. And a month later is when I stopped and a three months after that, I went to my first meeting because I knew someone who was in the program. And then for instance, then, I haven't drank. That was three and a half years ago. So it was a, I mean, I tried to moderate. I'd been in groups, you know, online groups, um, just like sobriety type things, uh, being like, you know, saying my story again after having kids. Um, 
trying to moderate, like I'll only drink Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And then I realized like on the weekends, it was like, you know, Friday night, I'd wake up Saturday morning and be like, okay, thank God I still have tonight to drink. Yes. You know, like it was just such a huge component of my life. I think that's the best thing I can say is like, since I stopped drinking is that I, I don't have that in my head anymore. Like it was gone. It was, it's so, it's so much more peaceful in my head now. So that's, I mean, that's really the, how it, how it started, but it, I knew I had a problem when I couldn't stop thinking about my next drink and it wasn't blacking out. I wasn't, like I said, drinking nine o'clock in the morning. I wasn't, um, getting, you know, I didn't lose my job, my home, my kids, all these things people think of when you think of a drinking problem, but I knew I, I was different than other people. Yeah. You, you mentioned some things that really kind of resonated there. Um, you know, I, uh, like I have alcoholism that runs in my family. Um, my, my dad's dad, uh, died when he was 18. My dad was 18 and, uh, he was a, he was an alcoholic and he ended up dying from a stroke. So I, I never met him. Um, so it's always something that's kind of like concerned me. And what I, I want to kind of touch on there is you mentioned like in your early twenties, something that like, I think we all, or most of us, like when we go away for school, university as a teenager, it is that, that party life. We want to go out, have fun with our friends, go drinking, dancing, you know, mm-hmm. some people love to do that blackout drunk. I know I've been a couple times, but I think like, are, are you able to tell if like that might be a problem that early because it's so ingrained in our in our culture, in our, in our kind of like the story of our lives, like our early twenties, it's for drinking and partying and mm-hmm. doing all these wild things. And then, mm-hmm. then we have to grow up and, and, and that like, did, you didn't recognize it was a problem at all. Eh? You're just like, this is what's to be done. I think that, you know, yeah. Part of, well, I relied on that narrative that like, you know, even if there was a little nagging voice going like you were drinking differently than all of your friends. Um, like I had to go out. I couldn't understand that someone would choose to not drink on a Friday or Saturday night, you know, like in, in your twenties, like why, why, what's the point? Also, what was the point of having one or two drinks? Like, why aren't you getting belligerently drunk? Like why Mm. that's not fun. You know, um, there was a little, the little voice there that being, you know, that I could identify that I was different, that my drinking was different than other people because some people could pick and choose. And it was like, I had no choice. Like this, this was how it's going to be. But I relied on that narrative of like, it's your twenties, like everybody parties, you know, that, that type of thing, which I also relied on in my thirties with the mommy drinks, you know, mommy special juice Mm. narrative that's put out there that like, you know, moms need to drink to deal with the kids. Like, so I, I, grasped these things to get to almost basically to give an excuse to continue drinking. So, I mean, those things are dangerous. Like that, that idea of like the notion that like everybody drinks when you're a college student or you're whatever, like you're abnormal if you don't, you know, like that sort of thing that doesn't help people who are like in my situation. But I mean, I, I don't, I was not ready to not drink at that point either. So. Yeah. Cause uh, so I guess like, the, the question I was kind of getting at is, as you were talking, it got into my head. It's like, is that like having to drink to the point of like total, like a, like obliteration, like you are gone. Mm-hmm. 
-hmm. like is would that be considered like an an early sign like I I know everyone's different everyone has different symptoms but like now that you're older and you're in AA and and yeah the program sorry and just you're learning a lot more like would you say like you're like that it really is like kind of like an early sign that yeah you might really have a high chance of being an alcoholic it can be there's so many factors um you know for me like I didn't black out so you know I read Sarah Heppola's book blackout where she talks about that and I was like oh I don't I'm not an alcoholic because I don't blackout mm. you know uh, it doesn't mean really you do or you don't it's it's more the it's that internal dialogue that like if you if you think you have a problem then you probably want to talk to someone about it because you know most people don't aren't constantly thinking about their next drink and when they're going to drink it so like I was talking to um, Theo Fleury the other week and he relayed a story of someone who was in a program and I thought it was such it's such a good way to describe it that she had one drink a day but she was still in recovery she was still calling herself like an alcoholic one one glass of wine and like you know, it's hard to understand how you can be an alcoholic if you have one glass of wine a day. And it's because she spent the 23 other hours of the day thinking about that one glass of wine. And that's like, that's exactly it. It doesn't matter. For me, it didn't matter the quantity. It was that all of my other time was thinking about that. And that's what I just, I couldn't deal with. It was, it was just mentally exhausting. Right. Okay. That, that painted because you know, one of my concerns, like I said, the alcoholism running in my family is like, I I like to drink. I like having, you know, a couple drinks on a Friday, Saturday night, but I guess it's that, that really important distinction of like, that's all I think about. I'm not just sitting there all week being like, can't wait to drink Friday or Saturday. Gotta get to Friday. Guys, yeah. Like you know? when it comes, it's like, oh, cool. Like pour myself a drink or whatever, or a glass of wine or. Yeah. You know, that afterthought, right? Like I, I was always envious of people who it, you know, they wouldn't have been thinking about it all day. Like I couldn't, I couldn't understand that. Um, you know, you'd watch people like have, you know, ask, offer a glass of wine. Someone would be like, Oh yeah, sure. Like, like I'd be like salivating, you know, waiting for them, someone to ask me, like, as I've been thinking about it for the four hours before, you know, ask me, give it, give me one. Like, why, why is everyone waiting to pour the drinks? You know, like that sort of thing. Other people, it's just like, Oh yeah. Sure. No problem. And I, I knew after seeing that enough times that like, ha, I'm not, I'm, I'm not the same as that person. Right. You, you also touched on something. So you're, you know, the mommy juice, you know, everyone, you you see the memes, they're on glasses of, you know, on mugs on, on, right. It's just like a common thing. And I think it's not meant to be harmful in some cases. Like it's, you know, I'm just having a little laugh and, and being cutesy or whatever, but I did want to get your, opinion on it as like an alcoholic and someone who, you know, might see that and it might be a trigger or, or like you said, it did affect you and you used it Mm -hmm. as a rationalization. And I often go into this internal debate in, in my, my own realm of just kind of like mental illness and depression and anxiety is you, you see people kind of use it as jokes. And, Mm -hmm. and to me, I'm like, like, it doesn't really bother me that people use it as a joke. I'm, I'm like, you know, like it's, it's fine. It kind of normalizes it a little bit. Like, right. but there are people who do get really passionate and frustrated that people do use it. Mm-hmm. Same cases as like, you know, oh, I'm a little OCD where it's OCD people are like, you know, you really don't know. So yeah. I, I guess like when you see stuff like that or, and when you 
talk to other people and when you're in the support groups now in your podcast, like, mm-hmm. are those like a lot more harmful than we might think? Um, and, and people sharing it kind of willy nilly. I, I don't know, because I think, again, there's like, uh, there's, there's two separate groups. There's, there's, you know, people who like moms who can drink, um, and, and just have like a glass, uh, you know, a day or more a once a week or whatever is like a safe amount. And then there's me, like ones who are like me, who are just like, oh, good. You know, someone else is, is making this acceptable and it's okay. And it was really dangerous for me because I p- bought into that. Well, now, now that I'm a, a mother, it's this, this is still required. It's, it's still, so it was like a real balance of trying to figure out, do I have a problem versus like this narrative that's saying it's okay. All moms need to drink. Um, I, I, I don't know. Like I find there's a lot of marketing of things like, um, you know, the, the mommy's juice, like mom, you know, wine glasses that say that or stuff. There was a, an ad that came out, um, recently that was advertising, like having, you know, a little mini fridge hidden, you know, we're all home. The idea of like everyone's stuck at home with their families and kids, like have this in that mini fridge tucked away in your closet somewhere with, you know, our juice and champagne. So you can drink. I mean, the idea is that you're hiding drinking alone. And it's like, well, a lot of people who have a problem, we're doing that or are doing that. Like it's, it's a, it, it's dangerous. Or like there's a, there's a line. It can mm-hmm. be funny and it can be really like, you're sending a terrible message that it's okay to drink, hide and drink alone. I mean, you shouldn't have to drink to get through anything. And it, what kids are not right. Like the, the idea, like when you get sober is like all the things you have to suddenly go through sober, you can do. And mm-hmm. parenting, if you're drunk, like, you know, that's not, it's not the, not the wisest thing. Um, so to promote that, uh, I don't, I don't, I think there's a, there's a, an issue of like just smart advertising. Um, I think there needs to be more education around that. And a lot of people are starting to speak up about that. Um, I'm going to be talking to an author. She wrote sippy cups are not for Chardonnay. And she was a big proponent of the mommies need to drink club. She kind of started it and then came out as an alcoholic. So Mm -hmm. it's like, you know, it's fascinating to, to see like the both really playing on both sides of it. Um, You just, you just never know who or how someone can be affected by that messaging. Yeah. Cause I mean, to someone that, you know, doesn't, suffer from addiction and everything like that's like a fun little toy it's like oh yeah cool but then yeah you're right like that line that balancing act of you know how we all interact as people it just I mean there's so many facets of it it uh it's hard to differentiate and I had a great question and I forgot because (laughs) I mean the thing is you just never know who's dealing with what right like you know there's the there's a lot of throwaway comments you see online from people mm-hmm. you might follow or whatever about like, you know, make sure that she, you know, she, the wine's stocked up at home tonight or whatever. And it's just like, I just, you know, sometimes it's like, I, I as an alcoholic go like, I want to be like, oh, that's not the best solution. But like, I forget that other people can drink normally and it doesn't mean anything to mm-hmm. them. Um, 
you know, it's just, it's, it's, I have to think of like, what's, what's my story versus what's other people's story. It's not, it's not all the same. Um, I think there's a more of a, um, a responsibility on advertising. That's, that's one thing. And then people just have compassion that not everyone has the same, the, you know, the same background, the same family history, like all these things like you talk about. Yeah. It's for me. And it's something I've noticed as I've grown older is like the romanticizing of drinking yeah, as opposed to, you know, other substances, whether it's cannabis or, or, you know, psychedelics or, or everything, right? Like those, I mean, cannabis now in Canada, it's a, it's legal now and whatever, mm-hmm. but like when we, you know, I'm really fascinated in, in psychedelics and psilocybin and, and how that affects our brains and, and, you know, the, but like they're so stigmatized, but with alcohol, which arguably has, is much more dangerous and has destroyed many more lives. Mm-hmm. We're like, <laughs> like throwing up the the banners everywhere. And if you go to, you know, popular culture, like what do they do in the movies when they go through a breakup, they go to the bar and like, just shoot back scotch and whiskey. It's everything. Right. They you're sitting there with a glass of wine and, and, you know, it it goes to what you said about like, we don't need that to cope with problems, but we're like, we're almost taught like right from when we start watching movies and TV shows that when we have an issue and especially with a, like with grief or mm-hmm. with trauma, like the response is to go out and get drunk and drown it in booze. Yeah. Drown your sorrows or it's for anything, right? Like it's, you know, celebrate like a big promotion. Like, you know, you go out with your coworkers and whatever, let's go every, mm-hmm. ever let's go for drinks. The thank us set the, you know, happy, happy hour, right? Like uh, weddings, funerals, whatever it is like now, now there's like a sip and seize for babies, right? Like, um, and it's like, and it's champagne or wine or whatever. Like every single event has alcohol is like alcohol based, you know, like it's not, and it's weird at those things. If there isn't alcohol, like if you, someone says, you know, there's no wine or there's no alcohol at this wedding, everyone would be like, shocked and People like refuse to go you know yeah, like <laughs> like, Christmas parties like what do you mean it like drink tickets are you serious yeah, yeah yeah or there's no drinking like now you know a lot of functions like you know in the government like there's no drinking now and like that sort of thing and yeah, that's mm. all these complaining about that like it's it's in, ingrained you are still you are assumed to drink unless you say you don't yeah like it's assumed everybody drinks unless you raise your hand and say, I don't drink. And I started saying that when I stopped drinking and like, you know, the whole table turns and looks at you like, as if you're, you know, you're, you've just landed on earth. Like, what do you, what, like, why, why? Then the questions mm-hmm. come out and you can, you know, then you've got yeah. to figure out how you want to answer that. Well, it's, it's when I think back to being younger and like, I'm ashamed to say it now, but I mean, in the truth of transparency, like you go to parties and someone's not drinking or they're taking it easier. Like, you know, you're pressuring them like, no, come on, like have another drink. Like, let's go. Let's let's party. We're here for fun. Like, come on. And when they don't like, you're just, you know, it's, they're the downer, right? Like they're, they're the wet blanket. (laughs) Or when someone's not drinking at a function, like you, you're, you're like kind of getting comfortable around it. Like you're yeah. like, Ooh, like this person's like, 
you know, like they're not fun or they're, they're right. They're, there's all the stigmas, right? On. Like there's, there's all the assumptions and stigmas. Like you're not fun or you're now going to judge me because I'm, I, when I, like, I don't want to be around you later when I'm drunk and you're still sober, you know, like, cause then you're judging you. They think you like, you're judging them because of how much like, well, now you're going to count my drinks. Like, no, mm. I don't like, I don't care how much you drink. Yeah. When I do th- something stupid, you're going to remember and tell everybody yeah. that type of stuff. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's no, so you're, interesting. The, well, you're the odd man out. Yeah. Um, I wanted to talk about like how you kind of like the, the withdrawal process of, mm-hmm. of, of becoming sober. Um, one of the big things with the pandemic is when the first lockdown happened, people were like up in arms that they kept LCBOs and liquor stores open. Yeah. Not understanding that if you were to cut these people off from the alcohol, like they would go through withdrawal and end up in the hospital and take mm-hmm. up resources and, and you know, like already overwhelmed. Yeah. Potentially harm themselves or others in, in other yeah. cases. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I, again, be as open or closed as you want about this question or just brush it off. But like, what was that? Like, how hard was it to like come off of it? Like, I don't think people understand that with addiction about trying to get off of it. Like people are like, just stop. And it's like, yeah. oh yeah, yeah, I wish I just, just could try. stop. Mm-hmm. So what was it like for you? Um, I look back at, you know, it was, uh, it was the summer and I was like, I, I, will I survive without drinks on a, a patio or a dock or something? Like, it's all these things where you're just like, nope, because there'll always be an excuse. If it's Christmas, then it's Christmas. If it's, you know, like there's always something, a reason to drink. So I had to first get over them. It's the mind. So much of it is the mindset and the mental aspect of it. Um, physically, well, right after I went away on like a little trip with my then husband and kids. So I was probably just miserable. I mean, I think I already would have been like stressed and annoyed at everyone on this like little road trip, but it was super heightened. And I was just like, for me, I didn't have like, you know, any shaking or anything like that. I wasn't because I wasn't drinking like in, in my intake, wasn't that much a day, um, that would lead to some uh, withdrawal like that. But I, I was like miserable. I know for weeks I was, there was headaches. I was miserable. I was cranky, like all these things. And then, you know, you're in situations where like high pressure, stress, whatever, like you just, your natural thing is to, to drink. So it was the hardest thing was going through all these firsts not drinking is, is to get used to, you know, the rea- the natural reaction isn't to drink. Um, but like massively impatient, um, more, more so than I am usually, which is a lot, uh, you know, all these things just like, I think I was just miserable for probably two solid months. Like it was, it was awful. And I, I remember that now I watch people like, um, on the real housewives of orange County, there's Bronwyn who's come out as an alcoholic and she, you see her go to all these first things, like these first group settings where there's alcohol. And I just think like, you're just like, you're like a, as if you're made of like paper mache or glass or something. And you're just like, at any moment you could shatter. Like it's so you're so fragile in these situations. It's so hard to be around alcohol. So when I say I went away with my family, my husband that at the time didn't drink, Um, obviously my toddler kids didn't drink, you know, like, so I wasn't around it. I was in an, 
a high pressure situation with the family, but I wasn't around alcohol. So the hard part got to be going into those situations, whether it was like a work thing, which you're, you know, sounds crazy to think like you'd be pressured to drink, but you are, um, you know, those first family things, those first nights out with a, for dinner with someone, like all those were really, really hard to get through without drinking really hard. I look back and I just like, I want to cry. It's so that sort of like that freshness of trying to stay away from it and, and, and get through that one thing without drinking was, it's just so it can, I can come right back to that feeling. What, what support is there for people to, I mean, come off of it? I know, I mean, obviously there's the program, which is kind of the most mm-hmm. famous, well-known one, mm-hmm. it, but like, like, was there therapy? Was there, you know, going on um, like a, a rehabilitation facility? Like, yeah. what kind of, like, what do people do to try to like kick this? there's so many options. I mean, there's just so many, there's so many detoxes. There's, you know, there's a lot of medically supervised options um, for people. And that, you know, that brings me to like a good point of when you talk about like people talk about dry January or something or sober October, whatever it is, those things can be dangerous. If you're, if you like had a big drinking habit and you kind of just suddenly, you know, Mm want to stop, um, without talking to like a doctor first. Um, I, I informed mine, my doctor, like, I think after I'd stopped drinking, um, I, I didn't have like the, the physical issues of where I need to go have someone medically supervise me, but you know, there, there are options. And I think like having, just having that support of like, if you go into a re a, a program of recovery, like, um, you know, any, any of the options out there that the people there can help, uh, you know, direct to, you know, something they've used or something that they know is beneficial. There's, there's just, there's so many, once you start kind of going into it, there's so many options of, of, for help. Like, it's just so wonderful. Yeah. It's wonderful. But when you, (laughs) on the other hand, you think about, think about how many options we have to try to get people to get off of this, but yet we make it so readily available in, in all these cases, it's kind of like a, you know, the, the irony or a hypocrisy in a way. I know. Um, is, is peer support something that's really big in, in this kind of this journey for people? Um, again, that's kind of the thing that gets glorified in movies. So I'm just trying to get a better understanding of if people do might, might have an issue, like how Mm -hmm. they can mentally prepare themselves to come off of it is like, so is like peer support something that's really important with it. Yeah. I, well, you know, I think like for me, I, I started talking to someone, a friend who I, she had, I hadn't heard from her in a long time. And she kind of came back and said, I've stopped drinking and I'm, I'm an AA. Do you want to come with me to a meeting? And I thought, (laughs) no, Mm. that's not for me, but I did. And I real, I saw all like the community that was around her. So it doesn't have to be AA. It doesn't have to be, you know, that, that specific group, but there's such a community to a program, to having like a recovery program, because you can, you get a sponsor, like you can be there one day and you can ask someone just to help sponsor you or to mentor you or to guide you or whatever that specific program uses the, the peer support around that, like the recovery program specifically, it's embedded. Like it's, it's, it's part of it. And that kind of comes back to what I'm doing now, which is, you know, you're supposed to kind of in these things is 
give back and help someone else. Right. So, you know, I hope that by me talking about it, I, you know, they don't have to talk to me, but talk to someone. If you're feeling like you have a problem, um, the people who I talk to for the podcast, like they're all open about it. And, you know, all, all of them say to their, um, audience and their followers or whatever, if you are suffering or you need help, like reach out to me. So it's that putting it out there, like it doesn't have to be in a program, but you're putting yourself out there. You've experienced it. You're, you're, you know, you're living it. Anyone can come and talk to me if like, you know, whoever it is, if they have a problem or they want to talk to someone about it. It's like, it's just, it's being able to share your story and hopefully help someone else. So, you know, the fact that people are out there saying more and more talk to me, reach out to me, whatever, you know, I think that's uh, just such a, a, a critical element to say like, you're not alone. Yeah. It, it goes the same with, you know, any mental illness, right? Mm-hmm. Like when people start talking about it publicly and yeah. especially high profile people, I think that's the most, it's, it's one thing for, you know, someone like you and I to, to talk about our issues regularly Yeah, because, you know, we have people in our circles and it filters out, but when you have someone of like status of, you know, someone like Dak Shepard, who has a huge mm-hmm. podcast talking about relapsing mm-hmm. that like the impact of that cannot be understated because you have millions of people listening yeah. and you you're like, oh, my God, when this person who's rich, who's successful, who is everything is talking about this thing that I have experienced. or I know like exactly. the impact is just so much greater. Yeah. Um, and that's, you know, with with what you're doing and the people you talk to, like, I think it just it makes it that much more profound and and impactful. Exactly. And that's literally why I first, you know, put my name to that. Um, uh, That's what I wanted to get into because it's one thing to help someone privately as being a sponsor and just one-on-one, but to go public with something like this Mm -hmm. and still very stigmatized. Like how did you get to, to that point and which led to this podcast? Yeah. So literally because Bobby Ryan shared his story, um, you know, in, in February, March, um, when it was became known that he had gone away to the, you know, be part of the substance, um, abuse program the NHL has, and he kind of came out and spoke about, and then he returned and he had that great game and, you know, was, he had such a, a warm, support well you know supportive welcome back um from the community and i i wrote a letter to the editor of the ottawa sun and i said like you're not alone like you have all these fans but also like i'm behind you in the same way because i i too am an alcoholic and i said you're part of a club that no one wants to be part no one wants to join but we're in the end so grateful to be part of but I sent it anonymously because I'm like, I can't, I can't say I'm an alcoholic. Like I'm, I'm a public servant. I'm a, I'm a wife. I'm a mother. Like I'd be so, it'd be so embarrassing. And then in September, uh, he was back in the news because he won um, the Masterson trophy, mm-hmm. which highlights, you know, um, perseverance and dedication. You know, he spoke again about the support and outpouring of, you know, encouragement and love he received when he was honest about what he had gone through. And I thought that's, you know, that's amazing. That's exactly the kind of message we need to be saying more around this subject. And I went and, you know, I went back and I posted that letter to the editor 
again on, on my Twitter. And I said, I put my name to it. I said, this is me. Like, I'm not going to be ashamed anymore. I'm not going to feel like I can't talk about this anymore. And that's really how it started. Like I, once that kind of was put in motion, I thought there, there's a, a reason behind this, why I I'm doing this. And there's a reason why, um, there's so many reasons why people don't talk about alcoholism, whatever, like there's such a negative connotation to that, that term, but there shouldn't be like, I'm proud of who I am. I'm so proud of what I've come through and what I've overcome. And I want to be able to say it. And that's really like, I kind of just took a few weeks and there's something, you know, something was brewing there and it some, somehow I just still can't even understand. Somehow I went from that, that those moments of what can I do with this now that I've kind of unleashed it to where I am today. Like, it's just, it, it was, the podcast was born. Yeah. And just like, that was all, you know, in a span of a, a couple months, Yeah, but it's kind of, you know, and I, I share a similar kind of story that when, when the idea pops where you were just like, you know, you're just like, what a, whether it's a podcast or YouTube channel or a blog or, or whatever. But like when that is, it's like, this is what I want to do. Like, it's amazing how the mind all of a sudden just like, it's like, let's mm. go. And you mm. like, you just figure out everything so quickly. You're just yeah. like, okay, how do I make a podcast? Google. Okay. Like <laughs> yeah. anchor, like, like, and yeah. it's just like, all of a sudden you're there and mm-hmm. you're just doing it. And then like, everything just feels so good mm-hmm. and, and exciting. And you, kind of reignite that passion and, and exactly. reason to get out of bed every morning. And, yeah. And so great. <laughs> yeah. It's so freeing. So, and I felt like for probably, you know, a year I've been feeling like there's something kind of gnawing at me. Like there's, you know, um, there's something you should be doing. There's something you should be doing. There's, there's more to your, what can you, what can you do to better, you know, what, yourself and help other people. Like there was little something kind of just there that was, that was sort of getting at me. And it just like, it came to me with this, like, this is a way I can help. This is a way I can help hopefully someone else who might be struggling, but also the change, the mindset of people who don't necessarily have an, you know, alcoholism or an addiction, but to take away the, 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 the misconceptions and the stereotypes that are around what an alcoholic looks like, what, a, what an addict looks like, what, you know, what does that mean? All these things that sort of are, are there. So it's not just targeted to people who um, might feel like they have a problem. Um, I hope it helps in many, many ways. Mm-hmm. That's, I think that's the biggest thing. And I completely agree because that is exactly what I'm trying to do with my podcast. And we talked a little bit you know, when we were first chatting and, and stuff off mic that, you know, as much as this podcast is for me, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's just, I'm talking to people who interest me, who have great stories, who I like, mm-hmm. who I want to talk to, but, and, you know, there's the, the, the aspects of mental health and stuff that like people going through it might help. But when I think back to myself, like, you know, even, even like a year ago, two years ago, but like within the last, you know, six, seven years, um, Joe Rogan gets a bad rap in some cases d- deservedly so but what I credit to his podcast for me is opening my eyes to so many different points of view mm-hmm. and 
like what I wanted to do with mine is not necessarily take it in any like kind of the controversial roots of, mm. uh, you know, the way his podcast sometimes goes, but it's like, like you said, like helping destigmatize alcoholism or, you know, I had the multiple personality disorder mm. or dissociative identity disorder. Um, like all these things that me coming from background of traditional media, like mm-hmm. this is stuff we won't talk about or touch on. Like maybe right. the news does sometimes mm-hmm. for two or three minutes and you're mm-hmm. like kind of like in and out and like you don't really get that mm-hmm. that impact but I'm like there's a real need to t- tell some stories that aren't being heard right now mm-hmm. um because of for whatever reason gatekeepers or, or media or just you know people like people need to hear this stuff who don't understand it as much as it's for the people who who do understand it, like yeah like power like I feel that too it's for people who have no idea I've never heard this before because that's exactly what happened to me. I never heard about, you know, white privilege or anti-racism. And so first Mm -hmm. I was very defensive, but then when Mm -hmm. you hear about it, Mm -hmm. learn, you're like, oh, like it just, everything starts to make sense. Yeah, exactly. And like, that's, that's, I keep, I kind of keep putting it out there that, you know, you don't have to have an alcohol problem to be interested in my podcast. And that's Mm -hmm. why too, I want to, you know, who my guests are, um, is a big factor in that is that they come with their own fans mm-hmm. um, or audience, whatever, who maybe you didn't know that this person was sober and for whatever reason, maybe you didn't know their story around their sobriety, um, you know, and to help using them and their platform to spread that message even further. Cause you know, I, I can only do so much with my limited following at this point, but, you know, to have the, the people who have these platforms, let's try to change the conversation around this, um, irregardless of whether you have a, an alcohol or addiction, uh, alcoholism or addiction, it's just to change the way people see it. And, you know, if your favorite hockey player, your, your favorite singer, actress, um, whatever has, has gone through something like that it might you know, resonate a little bit too. Yeah. It teaches empathy mm-hmm. because this person who you, you loved or, or really admired, respected, exactly. you know, you know, like I said, this huge, this huge following and platform, when you find out that like, oh, they struggle too. Yeah. You know, you can't go back. I mean, people do like assholes on the internet. They'll be like, oh, I'm never listening or talking about you again. But I mean, for the most part, most of us are human and we'll be like, oh, wow. Like, man, I, I love this guy and that to know that he went through this, like it really exactly. puts things into perspective. Yeah. And, and to see that, yeah, there's the, it humanizes them, um, you know, a, a lot it, it, like, oh, you're just, for me, a lot of what I, I feel a lot when I talk to these people is I'm like, oh, like I'm, I'm this, you know, Mary Walsh and I have a share something in common. Like, that's pretty cool. You know, like I, you know, I'm, 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 pretty honored in that, in that facet. And we can share something. And that's the other thing is that you, you look at these people and if you have gone through anything of of the like, you go, well, you see like, well, you were a hockey player, you're a journalist, or you're, you know, you're a broadcaster. We don't, our lives are nothing alike in, in that, in that sense, but there's something that we can relate to together. And it's so comforting and it makes you just go back to, you're not alone you know, and it can, how it can affect anybody like addiction and, and alcoholism, it doesn't uh, d- discriminate, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, you see a lot of hockey players coming forward 
you know, more and more lately, which I think it's fantastic because there was probably, you know, a lot of stigma attached to it until people start talking about it. And then it, you'd kind of go, well, I want to share my story too. And that's exactly what happened to me. You know, I, I saw a hockey player who I admired, greatly admired. And I thought if he can do it, I can do it. That, yeah. I mean, like everything we just talked about for the last kind of couple of minutes, like that sums it up right there. Someone spoke about it, it inspired you. And now you are using that to help others. Like, and that's yeah. kind of what it's all about. Yeah. It's And to find out all the hockey player stuff, you know, how much they were addicted to, you know, the booze or, or uh, there was a story, oh man, this year, 2020 went by, but I think it was last year. And I think mm-hmm. it was before the pandemic, but it might've been during, but it was a, a piece on, how they got addicted to this uh, pain numbing pill or, or mm. it was a drug and, and all the adverse side effects that now they have in their bodies and how it impacted their lives. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, athletes, actors, all this stuff they, they do to themselves to, to prepare themselves, whether it's for an event or to hide away from public life. Like, right. you know, once we start realizing we're all human and, and can bring that back with empathy and compassion, the more we, like, we can help these people that we admire exactly. know, as much as they help us in certain cases. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, sharing, sharing your story is so powerful, like not only to, to, you know, whoever's listening, but for yourself, like every time I talk about it, for me, it just reinforces that what I've done is the right thing, you know? So it helps me immensely too to continue talking about it more than I, I would have thought frankly right. you know everyone has their own story and after sharing mine and then you know starting to get in touch with like other mental health advocates and other people with mental illness and learning their stories you know you think you know something about you know but like everyone's individual case is, is so different and how yeah. it affects them and, and the symptoms so, I mean, you, you went through your story and, and, and you talked about it and you heard some, like, is there things that you've now taken from this podcast uh, that you've had and talking to these people that you've learned that maybe even you, who's an alcoholic, maybe still stigmatized or that you mm-hmm. still didn't quite understand until you had these conversations and were like, oh, okay, wow. Yeah. This is something really, I, I have to think about. Yeah, a few, you know, there's a few things that stand out. Um, re- you know, really, f- every time I talk to someone, I'm, I reflect on how, uh, even like I said, our lives are so different, but we're so alike in recovery. Like, there's something that always touches me about the person's story that, while like, you know, it's worlds apart in terms of what we've experienced, even in our, the addiction side of it, not just like whatever life they've led, but the addiction side of it, but there's something that they're like a little connector and, you know, oh, like that same, that's exactly how I felt in that moment of like my rock bottom. Like you just realize that, you know, we're, we can be so alike, so different and so alike. Um, and I think, you know, the, the other thing is, is I, I just had, um, one of my guests, uh, it was Deborah DiGiovanni, who is mm. like a, you know, a, a very well-known Canadian and, and, and comedian. And she is sober from, um, uh, marijuana. And I think that will be an interesting one for a lot of people to listen to, because there's a lot of stigmatism around, 
um, the addictiveness of that. Like, it's kind of like a, you know, it's like, oh, I, people might just say I, I smoke weed and I can, you know, they, it's not, it's not considered something you would have to like withdraw from, you know, that, that there's like the addictive side of it, um, is something I think people brush off. So that was a really interesting conversation. Cause like I, I used to smoke marijuana as well, but I, that was when I could stop. I didn't have a problem stopping. I could, I wanted to do it all the time, but I, I could stop that one. It wasn't something I had to go into recovery for. So to have someone who is the opposite story of mine, where she also stopped drinking, but it was more of like, a just, I don't want to drink anymore choice. Right. You know, to have that totally flipped storyline where she is, she celebrates her sobriety from marijuana. I think that'll be eye-opening for a lot of people who just don't understand that that's the, the addiction around that as well. It's a, it's a drug addiction, right? Mm. So there's a lot of things, you know, I, I learned something from each person I talk to. Um, it's just, I just, I feel so grateful to have that opportunity. And I hope that someone whoever listens to it, um, you know, from each guest that they take something away as well. That's the, the cannabis one. That's super interesting because mm-hmm. I mean, I, 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 I'm not, I've had episodes on it and I'll have to go listen back, but there is a very common belief, um, that cannabis is non-addictive, Yeah, but it's, I, I literally had a conversation with, uh, somebody last week about cannabis and, and the difference between, you know, dependency versus like using it as a medicine right? and how, you know, some people, and when that becomes a problem, you know what I mean? Like some people are very high functioning and like, they can be like chain smoke joints every single day mm-hmm. and like run a business, like, t- like everything seems totally fine. And you would never even know the difference. Mm-hmm. And then there's like people like me who has like one puff of a joint and I'm like, I'm toast. I'm like, <laughs> I'm out. I'm like, I, I gotta go to bed. I'm, I can't, I, I'm just, yeah. I'm totally, t- I'm a total lightweight when it comes to it, but <laughs> Yeah, that when the dependency becomes an issue slash right. addiction, uh, that that one is that one's very interesting because I think a lot of us know people who kind of like lost their their way due to cannabis use, mm-hmm. um, and like have like ruined their lives in a lot of cases. I I had a friend who was like a genius who discovered, like, it was along with mental illness, but also discovered cannabis. And, you know, unfortunately, their life has just not turned out the way I think any of us thought. Right. And I think there's also the, the throwaway ones where you go like, oh, they're just, they're a stoner. Yes. Right. And that that's their, you know, personality or character, what a persona we've all assigned them. They're a, though they're a stoner. Well, maybe that stoner is actually like, but actually they're a drug addict, you know, like, but we don't use that term when it comes to marijuana. It, you know, it's, it's funny, like there's so many different terms. And I talk about language a lot with people when I talk, ask, you know, when I interview them, I ask, you know, what's the language you prefer to use around this? Do you talk about sobriety? Do you talk, do you say you're an addict? Do you say you're an alcoholic? Like and the relationship with people, you know, people have with the terms is always something interesting to hear about, uh, because it show it tells a lot, it tells a lot of the story, but you know, when we, we, we talk about marijuana, it's, I don't think it's, it's considered yet, you know, uh, there is like equal to 
uh, you know, you have a problem with meth or Coke or whatever, right? But it should be. There's nothing that differentiates that if you feel like you're, you know, you're addicted, you're addicted. That's, it goes back to the one glass of wine and the alcoholic, right? Like what makes an alcoholic, what makes a drug, drug addict, right? It's a, it's an interesting, very interesting conversation when to start getting into that. Yeah, it, it really is. Is, is that something like you think, I mean, now with that conversation, your, your podcast might start exploring is going from, you know, alcoholism, which is addiction into mm-hmm. more broader cases of, of addiction, whether that's, that's drugs, whether that's, I don't know, uh, even sex. I mean, that's been a yeah. thing in the last couple of years is, yeah. is that something you're more interested in pornography, like addiction. Yeah. Yeah. I've thought about, um, that in the last little bit, because it does seem to be expanding. Um, because, uh, I mean, it's just, it's, it's never ending what, what the addictions are out there. But I've really focused it on like the idea of, of, of sobriety um, mm. that, you know, so, uh, you know, some people I'll ask them to be a, a guest and they're like, I'm not an alcoholic. Okay. You don't have to be. It's really about um, taking the misconceptions and the stigma away from saying I'm sober or, you know, talking about sobriety. So for me, my story is alcoholism, but like Deborah's is uh, you know, marijuana. Um, my first guest, Joao Franco from below deck right away. He's like, I'm not an, I want to preface this. I'm, I'm not an alcoholic. Like I'm a problem drinker. Like I'm not an alcoholic. So, you know, it's run the gambit of people from who are, who might have issues with drinking to people who are really like AA, you know, alcoholic, like Sandy, uh, captain Sandy from below deck to Brit burn from the bachelor who is like, I'm in it. I'm not an AM in a different program that fe- focuses on like, it's just, it's run totally, you know, the spectrum I'm, I'm having, um, going to have someone on in the next month or so who isn't, you know, is sober by choice outside of any kind of addiction or any mm-hmm. alcoholism. So it's just, you know, it's become more of a let's just talk about being sober, like, and why we choose to live this way. Like whether you're an alcoholic, whether you're an addict, whether you're not, and you're sober, you know, sobriety Mm -hmm. is like I said, unless you say I don't drink or I don't smoke or whatever, you're assumed that you do, or you have, or whatever. Right. So it's just, it's let's, I want to normalize that a little more because it's, Mm. it's still like, you're the odd man out if you don't drink. You know, no matter what, how you phrase it, I can say I'm sober and that's still going to get some pushback or I say I'm an alcoholic. (laughs) We'll see what people say when I start saying that more freely, you know, when there's no socializing, so I can't be turning down drinks right now. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, that will be interesting. And and it's like, you know, you're interested in the the language that people use, you know, alcoholism versus uh, problem drinker and, and all yeah. that. Cause yeah. for, like for me, and especially with mental illness, I'm not a stickler for language, like categorize me as, as you, you want. It's, it's not really going to affect me or bother me, mm-hmm. but I know a lot of people do really care about the language you use and the words you choose to use when you describe things. And that's mm-hmm. that, that to me, to me, it is, it is really interesting. And it's always great to learn, you know, how people, you know, want to be, categorized or, or described. And of mm-hmm. course, you know, you want to make sure you're respecting people, right? Like you don't right. want to be throwing around terms that 
you know, are going to hurt people and, and stuff. Exactly. Like that. So it's a, it's a learning. Exactly. So, and that's another element where you hope that people who um, maybe have it in their family, it doesn't impact them directly necessarily, but they can maybe take something out of it. Like, how do I talk about this with the person I know or love or whatever, you know, like, how can I, you know, what are questions I can ask them like type of thing. So, you know, you hope that there, like there, there's an impact on that side as well. Right. What are some things you do to like keep sober outside of the program, like lifestyle mm-hmm. habits and, and changes? It, it, I think with anybody who might be struggling with addiction, we talk about a lot on about mental mental health and illness and how people try to keep up on that. Like, you know, is there, I don't know, like supplements, exercise, walks, like certain yeah. mindsets you get yourself into, like, what are some of the things that, that really help you like stay on track? Mm-hmm. Um, I think for me in the, it, it's kind of differed in the beginning versus now. Um, you know, I would know what my limits were in terms of like what situations I could put myself in comfortably. Um, and, and to get through what I needed to get through in terms of like the next minute, the next hour, whatever. And you focus on that. I think, oh, there's a, you know, there's a really good saying, um, that's it, it's, you know, you have to have the sort of this foresight and, and, um, it's called, you know, you say play the tape till the end. So if you think you're like thinking about drinking, like you're new in sobriety or now, whenever 20, 30 years into sobriety and you want to have a drink thinking it's not going to do anything, one drink, whatever, well, play the tape to the end. Like it's, it's not going to be that one drink. I'm going to wind up throwing up somewhere. Right. Like, so I, you know, my rose colored glasses thinking about how nice it'll be to have that. It won't be. So you play the tape to the end and then you do something else like going for a walk. Like you said, that was great. Like it just, you change the scenery, right? Like whatever's causing that trigger, whatever, you know, you're in a, you're in a bar, you're at a wedding, you're, you know, getting annoyed with the kids. It's get out of that situation. So I did, I, I would leave places if I was starting to get like anxious or uncomfortable, I'd leave. And that's, it's, it has a lot of, um, knowing, like I said, your boundaries, your limits and understanding like what you can do to, to, to change that. So I remove myself from a lot of the situations, but now, um, I know like I had, I have anxiety. I, you know, started having panic attacks a few years ago. Um, I, and it's the same thing with sobriety. I know how to manage it, right? Like I know what works and what doesn't. Um, it's kind of nice that I'm not having to be in such social situations right now because I mm. still get triggered. There's still things, but for me, I just go, it's not going to benefit me in any way to have a drink. I, I think, you know, it's a lot of like playing that thing. And, and just, a, you know, I, I reflect, I write, uh, I have, you know, I have the blog, I write a lot and that helps, um, me to, you know, appreciate what I've gone through where I am now and how much better my life is. Um, but I really, I'm big trying to get out once a day, you know, go for a walk, clear, you know, clear my head, Mm -hmm. that sort of thing. You know, I think having fun drinks too, like, you know, in sobriety, you don't have to be like, well, now I can only drink Pepsi. (laughs) Like, Mm -hmm. no, have fun with it. Like, you know, once you're comfortable, like I get bartenders to make me in the good old times when we could go places, I would get bartenders to make me fun drinks, like make me something interesting. Like use your mixology degree and make me something that's cool and unique, but non-alcoholic. And I would come back, I would, you know, I've had these most fantastic 
beautiful drinks. Uh, so you feel kind of like you're part of the group too. So it's that, you know, like I said at the beginning, it's so much the mindset, right? Like having that you're in the right frame of mind and you know what works and what doesn't for you. Mm -hmm. So I had to get up there. I live across from a car dealership and every so often, sometimes at four in the morning, they like to have big trucks drop stuff off. So (laughs) closing my window. Um, the the last thing I kind of want to ask you, um, and it kind of goes for, I guess, everyone who, who struggles with addiction, like how real is the fear of relapse? You know, you mentioned all these, like, you know, you're you're doing great. You're doing great things. That's amazing. But like, how, how real is that fear of relapsing and and going back to your old ways um, with you or like anyone you even talk to? Mm -hmm. The danger is thinking there isn't a chance of that happening because then you get complacent and you'll drink like that for me. That's how I see it. You know, you there, there's this saying that we all have, if you're in recovery, that your alcoholism is out in the backyard doing pushups, just waiting for that moan of weakness. Mm-hmm. You know, it's still there. It's still there getting, getting stronger. In fact, while you're like, you know, maintaining and living your life, whatever it's there, it's somewhere it's outside waiting for you to be like, "Mm, you know, maybe I will. And it's right back. Someone said to me, um, you know, 30 years from now, if you've ever had a drink, if you've never had a drink in these 30 years, are you still an alcoholic? Yes. Because if I think for a second that I'm not, that's where I'm in the danger zone. So it's a constant, like monitoring of that to make sure I am well aware that it'll come all rushing back in if I let it. Right. Um, Aaron Davis said the same thing. She's like, you're inside managing your house. Everything's fine and tidy and you're, you're, you're sober and you're living in your house, but the grass is still growing outside. Like it's still, it's still there. Even if you're okay and protected in here, it's still there. And I think that's just the, the best thing to do for me. What works for me is to constantly remember that because I can't let my guard down. That's, that's really important to remember. And it's something, you know, as, as someone who is learning and, and trying to understand that to, to remember and with this whole conversation that when, you know, someone's choosing not to drink or mm-hmm. that, you know, this, this, it's just all great information and puts a lot of things into context for me. And I hope for a lot of people. So mm-hmm. super appreciate you coming on and sharing this because I, I know it's not always easy as much as we're public speakers and we talk about it often. It's still, yeah. it takes energy and it takes some stuff out of you some, when mm-hmm. you have to talk about it. So I appreciate that. Thank Where you. can people find you, the podcast, uh, and, and, you know, listen to some of these episodes and, and learn more about it. Yeah. The, uh, so I have a website. So if you just Google the unashamed alcoholic, you'll, you'll get there. Um, and the podcasts are on the site as well as wherever you get podcasts now. So I'm really happy with that. I've figured it out, <laughs> figured out how to get them everywhere. So it's, it's everywhere. And, uh, I'm on Twitter, uh, at unashamed ALC unashamed elk. So you can find me there too. Awesome. Well, uh, again, it was great to finally meet you uh, and and share in this this heavily ginger moment (laughs) talking on Twitter for so many months. uh, It's always fun. And that's kind of what I love about the Internet. And as much as I hate it, that you can make connections like this. You can make really nice connections. I agree. Yeah. Yeah.
So once this whole pandemic is over and uh, we can go and uh, get some fancy, those fancy drinks you're talking about, because now I'm interested yes. to see what they can come <laughs> yeah. up with. <laughs> yeah, you'll be envious. People who drink, you know, alcoholic drinks have, have often been envious of those. Yeah, what the, what the heck? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. No, well, uh, thank you. And we will uh, talk again soon, I'm sure. Wonderful. Thank you so much for having me. Take the red pill, you stay in Wonderland, and I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes.